Welcome to the Value Driven Brand Podcast, where you'll learn insights on how to communicate with authenticity, deliver genuine value, and create a memorable experience across your entire customer journey, helping your business become the sought-after leader in your industry. I'm your host, Aileen Day. Now, on to the show. G'day everybody and welcome to the Value Driven Brand Podcast. I am your host Aileen Day and it is my absolute honour and privilege and I do not say that lightly. I have just spent the last 15 minutes fangirling all over this person and uh, he's taken it so well and I would love to introduce to you the owner and founder of the Value Graphics Database, David Allison. Welcome so everybody. much. Thank you. Thanks for having me over. I'm oh my God. Oh, I'm so excited. I know everyone goes, I'm so excited. No, I'm legitimately freaking excited. <laughs> me too. I'm this so is my happy. first Australian, second, uh, well, only my second, no, wait a minute. It's my second Australian podcast host, but the first podcast based in Australia. The other Aussie I spoke to, who he was in Singapore. So, first time on a podcast in Australia. There you go. And now I'm extra excited. Popping David <laughs> Allison's cherry. Look at this guy. <laughs> All right. It's one of those kinds of podcasts. Anything oh, yeah. goes. Here it's we are. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know who David Allison is, number one, where the fuck have you been? And number two, he is an absolute champion and uh, the man that you need to get to know he is everything about what is value and I'm going to read his bio because I do not want to mess this up. David Allison is a human behavior expert who studies engagement and influence. He is a pioneer of values thinking and the founder of the value graphics database, which is the first global database that can predict and influence behavior. He works in B2B, B2C, everything from A to Z or A to Z, depending on what part of the world you're in, and in every sector of the world where there is a human being because we value stuff. His best-selling book, We Are All the Same Age Right Now, you have to get it. It is a wonderful resource, and we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, a little bit more in the podcast the end of the demographic stereotype was listed in Inc. Magazine's uh, number one top ten leadership books of the year. Uh, and Kirkus Reviews called it genuinely authentic contribution to the field of marketing literature. Now, I actually saw that and I couldn't agree more. It is an amazing reference tool. And after this podcast, you are going to know exactly why you need to hit up your bookshop or uh, book supplier and get your own copy so that you too can become all about what we value. So, David Allison, thank you again. That's You, you did a great job. That was a very well done bio introduction. <laughs> Anyone would think I wrote it. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> I certainly am so pleased to have you. Uh, David, talk to me about, so for the people listening uh, and those watching, talk to me about what is value graphics? Okay. So we'll start with the big question. Mm. Um, there's very little that scientists from different fields of inquiry agree on. 
but three different fields of scientific study all agree on this one interesting point. So I'm going to run through them really quickly for you. First off, neuroscientists, they talk about the prefrontal cortex of your brain as the CEO of your brain, and it bosses you around and decides what you're going to do and what you're going to feel about things, what your emotions are, your behaviors are. And your prefrontal cortex, your CEO, uses one thing to decide how to react to all the incoming data that comes into your whole life, and it's your values, the things you care about. So that's neuroscience. Let's move on to psychology. In psychology, when you're doing research, you are um, warned against and learn how to avoid something called confirmation bias, which is the natural human tendency to agree with and love the stuff we already love and agree with. Uh, so if you're doing research, you don't want to have a lot of confirmation bias because it skews your results. But if you flip that around and say, huh, if human beings are drawn like moths to a flame or to the stuff they already care about and value, what if we could use that as a way to get people to pay attention to one thing or another? So there's psychology who says values are a key to human behavior and interaction. And then lastly, where my research and my database lives is in the world of sociology. And sociologists study the behaviors of masses of people. Like, why did this group of people go do this thing and this other group of people went and did that thing? Well, they pick it apart and they analyze and they look at it and they break it down and they end up saying, this group did that thing because they value this. And this group did that thing because they value that. So there's sociologists weighing in and agreeing with the neuroscientists and the psychologists and saying the key to human behavior is to understand what people value. Now, that's all cool, and we can use that as a way to retroactively understand behaviors, but we've never had a tool that allows us to not just understand why things happen, but make things happen in the first place. Right. So that's what we set out to do, and we built the Value Graphics database so that we can actually use values, all this scientific agreement, as a way to influence and engage people before things happen and actually make stuff happen instead. So it's even scientific. Ah, it's You know what? We can't avoid it. It's a biologically... <laughs> Uh, we are biologically programmed to run after and seek out and chase the things we value. That's yeah. uh, what it's kind of what being human is. Mm. We spend our lives attracted and to and, and, and wanting more of the things that we think are really important. So let's make a, a good concrete example. If um, uh, example, I always seem to revert back to because it's very important to many people all over the world is family. If family is a value that's very important to you, then you spend your days, whether you know you're doing it or not, this can be happening subconsciously. Every decision you make, every move you make, every feeling you have will somehow be about, <laughs> there was almost a police song there, uh, will somehow <laughs> be about how it's going to impact your family negatively or, posit or, or, or positively. You, yes, you run true. away from anything that might hurt your family and you run towards anything that's going to make your family stronger and better. Mm -hmm. And there's 56 different values in a human values profile. And so if you know which of those ones are the ones that they're acting on all day, it's kind of like knowing how to push their buttons. It's the, for this group of people over here, if you push these buttons, you can get them to do what you want them to do. And this group of people over here, you push these buttons and you can engage with them around whatever it is you're trying to engage with them around. It's, it's, it's actually at the root of it. It's so simple. Mm. It's just taken a, a ton of research and, and, and years to get to the point where we have this database that's capable of doing this all over the world. Considering how long I know it takes me to get people to fill in one survey, hmm. talk to me. You have had 
how many surveys filled in to create this uh, database? We're, we're, we're way over half a million now, half a million surveys. Holy gosh. Yeah, it's a lot. That is a lot. But what that also tells me is that people value delivering that insight to be able to fill out those those surveys. They want you to know what actually does make them tick. So, well, there's some secret sauce to the way we ask the questions, of course. You know, oh. um, some of this I'm, I'm not really at liberty to speak about. I have a statistician at a university in New Zealand, uh, mm -hmm. my research partner, uh, and this is a methodology he's been building for more than a decade. Wow. And, it, and it's, it's about knowing how to ask people questions and using secondary lines of questioning. So we never ask people about how important family is. We ask them about stuff they're really interested in. So let's say, uh, you know, I'm from Canada. So a lot of people in Canada are really into hockey. So let's mm -hmm. say on your Facebook page or your somewhere, social media post somewhere, somewhere you've said how much of a hockey fan you are. Well, we would pop up a little thing that said, hey, we're really trying to understand hockey fans and we know you're an expert. Would you mind answering a couple questions about hockey? If you're really a hockey fan, that's pretty irresistible. Mm. So you click through and we ask you a few quick questions about, um, you know, if you have a favorite team and if your team gets kicked out of the league after the second game in the series, would you cheer for a different team? And do you own a jersey? And do you go to games with your friends? Do your family watch games with you when you're at home watching them on the television? You ask all these questions. People just love talking about it because it's their favorite thing, hockey. But what they're really telling us about is loyalty and family and friendships, and that's how we get to understand after half a million surveys around the world, really how people feel about these things. Because if you ask people, how do you feel about your family? Everyone's gonna go, love them, oh, awesome, love really important. Yeah, love Ask every Even man on Tinder, hate. love my family. Yeah, exactly. If you hate them, you're not gonna say that out loud. <laughs> uh, you're gonna say, I love them, because that's what everybody is just expecting you to say. But if we Absolutely. ask you about the most important thing in your life, which might hypothetically be hockey and your family's not involved at all they don't mm -hmm. come to games with you they're not interested in it they don't watch television with you and you're watching a hockey game kind of getting the feeling that family's not like the biggest deal to you yeah oh my goodness me i tell you what i did um 12 weeks of statistics at university <laughs> to stick it out for 10 years is uh my hat goes off to your research partner <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a genius. He's a really smart guy. Oh, my goodness. I was excited, though, because uh, when I was reading some of your statistics, they made sense, and I was like, oh, thank God, some stuff stuck. <laughs> yeah, well, good for you. I barely understand it myself. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly complex thing. I mean, you know, just to, to throw it out there, uh, this database we built of half a million surveys around the world in 152 different languages so that we yeah. weren't being Anglo-centric. We're now accurate in 180 of the 185 countries on the planet with an accuracy of plus or minus 3.5% and a 95% level of confidence. The data is arranged in a random, stratified, statistically representative sample of the population of the Earth. And that's my little memorized pitch about the stats. Uh, and if you I dig any deeper, you, it doesn't go any deeper than that. <laughs> I will tell you, as far as statistics go, that is very good. Mm. You very, know, I, I very, do know. Very good. <laughs> I do know that a random strat stat wrap or a random stratified statistically representative sample is a really difficult thing to build because what it means 
is that it's an exact miniaturized proportionate model of whatever it is you're studying. So if you're studying people who own poodles and live in Brisbane, Brisbane. what you need Brisbane, what you need Brisbane. to do is um, you need to get the same number of women and men and mm. uh, young poodle owners and old poodle owners so that you have exactly the same proportions. Mm. You can imagine how long it would take to find enough people to build that, let's say 1000 people who fit that exact mm. replica of the real world proportionally. Mm. Now imagine if you're trying to build a replica of the whole world yeah. that has the same proportionate number of men, women, rich, poor, young, old, black, white, uh, fat, tall, skinny, like all the Pink different ways that you dots. can. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's incredibly complex to do. So I think if, if we were to be judged by history on one thing from the statistics perspective, it's that we've built a half a million person, a half a million survey random strat stat rep. A statistician listening to this will light their hair on fire and run out of the room having heard that sentence. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's nearly unheard of. It's very yeah, hard it's, to get, and especially globally. Yeah. It's, um, it's an absolute achievement. I am curious... Uh, you know, there are there are people in the world like you and I who froth over delivering value and uh, live for it, breathe it, want everyone else to feel the same way. What was it that got you into value graphics? What because before you, value graphics wasn't a thing. Right. So, what made you wake up one day? You're actually it's about to be. Well, interesting. I, I come from a marketing background. I own my own marketing strategy and creative firm for a while mm -hmm. uh, after having worked at some of the biggest ones in, in the world. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'd always written books as a way to talk to the audience of people who would be clients for my, my firm. Mm -hmm. And that would get me invited to get up on stage and speak to people at conferences and stuff. And somebody in that audience would end up being the next client for my company. So I sold the firm five years ago now. Uh, mm -hmm. to the management team that I put in place. It was great, perfect exit, nice, got out of there. Uh, and I um, started thinking about what I wanted to do next. And this firm had specialized in real estate, uh, large scale real estate development. So, you know, $400 million condo buildings and uh, resorts and master plan communities and all this kind of stuff. So I thought I was writing another book for that market. Mm -hmm. What we set out to do is prove that in what everyone in the urban planning world will tell you is the happiest, healthiest communities are diverse communities. We work really hard to make communities diverse and not monocultures. And mm -hmm. then we come along and we build condo towers that are just for one kind of person. So this one's just for rich boomers. And this one's just for first-time home buyers who only want a small apartment and can't afford very much. Mm -hmm. And it seemed crazy to me that in the midst of all of this diversity, we wanted to put these monoculture communities, these vertical villages. Mm. I thought, well, what might it take to build a building that could have a lot of different kinds of people in it? We should go and ask if that's even something people are interested in. Maybe that's what my next book is about. So we started out with uh, how many? The first time around, I think we were like 15, 20,000 surveys, something like that, across just Canada and the United States mm -hmm. to find out what it would take to build a building that people of all ages and all kinds of different people would be happy living in together. Mm -hmm. And two things came out. Number one, nobody wants to live in a building full of people just like them. They thought that sounded horrible, boring. Uh, the word ghetto came up a lot 
and yet that's all we build. That's all we build in the real estate industry is, is these monoculture buildings. Yeah. Second thing, which is even more interesting, is people said they would pay as much as 15% more for their condo or their apartment rental if they knew just one thing. And that one thing had nothing to do with the stuff that everyone in the real estate development industry thinks it's about. It's not about whether there's a swimming pool and how fancy your kitchen is and how fast the elevators are and if there's a skylight in your living room. None of that matters as much as this one thing, which is I want to live in a building full of people who have the same perspective on the world that I do, who share my values. Oh. I will pay 15% more for that. Now, you think about this is housing. This is the most expensive thing anyone's ever going to spend their money on. And they're saying voluntarily, I will give you 15% more than anyone else in the market if you can put me in a building full of people who share my values. Wow. So that set off alarm bells. I was like, well, that's crazy. This is, oh my God, there's my next book. That's what I'm going to be speaking about on stages. And then I thought about it for a little bit longer. Went, well, why is this just condos and apartments? Why isn't mm. this uh, coffee cups and pens and uh, iPhones and, um, and lamps and everything? Why isn't this vacations and bank accounts and uh, B2B and B2C? Mm. So we went back out in market and said, well, does, is this true? for everybody. And we did a bunch more surveys and we got up to a hundred thousand surveys in, in Canada, the United States. And the data was, was on our side. People are far more motivated by things that, uh, by groups of people are far more motivated by values than they are by any of the demographic things that we think they're motivated by. Mm. We sit down in boardrooms <clears throat> and say to ourselves, our target audience is millennial women who earn $50,000 a year and have a master's degree in business. And then we figure we know who these folks are and we make yeah. stuff up and we design products for them and campaigns and all these other things. Mm. Well, in fact, there isn't a demographic category that agrees with each other on anything more than about 10% on average. So that wow, means 90 cents of every, that's it. So 90 cents of every dollar that you spend trying to target a demographic is wasted. Mm. The best you can hope for is a 10% ROI if you're using demographics to understand your audience. Conversely, if you use value graphics to understand your audience and how they behave and what they care about, we can get those numbers up as high as 80, 90%. So you're getting an eight or nine times improvement Completely just by way. thinking, exactly, just by thinking about what people care about instead of some stupid demographic stereotype from 50 years ago that women are all like this or men are all like that or boomers are all like this or whatever. Boomers. <laughs> Uh, poor boomers. I'm a boomer. Poor boomers. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And, you know, to think only a few months ago it was uh, millennials copying it. Now it's the boomers. Everybody's getting a go. That is absolutely mind-blowing. So for those listening on, what David's basically just said is demographics will lose 90 cents to the dollar of every dollar you spend but listening and thinking about what your target audience values will absolutely flip that the other way. So you'll, yep. you'll gain 90 cents return on investment for each dollar. Yep. Yeah. It I just, mean, and, and you know what, even if I'm, like I said earlier when I was spewing stats that we're only plus or minus 3.5% inaccurate with this data, but let's just say for some crazy reason, we're 50% wrong. 50% off. That means instead of an eight or nine times better return on investment, I can only guarantee you a four or five times better return on investment. 
that's still pretty darn good. And if I'm 75% wrong, <laughs> and I can only give you a two or three times better return on investment than what you're doing right now, it's still like, it's, it's a no brainer. And you know what? We know for sure that we're only plus or minus 3.5% wrong. So uh, the idea that we might even be half wrong is, is, is absurd. So there's just no downside to shifting the way you think about the world, changing how you look at other people, mm-hmm. how you understand your target audience. And instead of using demographic stereotypes, use what they care about, what they value. So I'm curious, you know, in business, uh, I, I remember sitting in a management course many years ago uh, and they introduced the term psychographics. Mm, yeah. And they claimed at the time that, and this would have been mid-2000s, uh, they claimed at the time that it was the new demographics. So talk to me about the difference between, you know, value graphics versus even psychographics. Where's, sure. the, where's, the, where's the benefit well, if, between those? If you really want to understand your customers, you need all three. I think I talk about it like a three-legged stool. Mm. The problem is we've been using some of these things in ways that they were never designed for or that they're really lousy at. Mm. So let's talk about them as a, as a trio of tools. So demographics are still useful to help you understand a way to describe your target audience. It's what people are. So, you know, I'll go back to my real estate background. If we're making $2 million penthouse condominiums, we know it's not going to be an 18-year-old who works in the grocery store who didn't finish high school. Mm. You still need to understand the demographic of the folks who are probably going to be most interested in what it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. The problem is then we take demographics and we say, well, if it's going to be, let's run with this idea of uh, penthouse condos. If we know it's going to be Uh, uh, people who have a million dollars in net worth and are in their 50s and are uh, senior management at large organizations and uh, downsizing from a home in the suburbs, that's all cool. But then we take that and go, great, we've described our audience. And since we've done that, we now know what they like. Mm -hmm. We now know what they're all about. We now Mm -hmm. understand their behaviors. And that's absolutely wrong, as the data shows. The people who are in those cohorts, those demographic buckets don't resemble each other at all. You still need to know who they are, but you can't use that information to understand what they're going to do. So psychographics, psychographics have a whole lot of different definitions, but the one I like the best is it's a record of how people have behaved so far around a particular product or service or brand. So you Mm -hmm. might go into your customer um, database and find out that the people who are, um, uh, most prone to buy this thing that you're trying to sell them have, uh, have al- already owned three of these things, or let's go back to condos that we might know psychographically that these folks, this is their fourth home or fifth home. That's not a demographic fact. That's a past purchase behavior fact. Mm. We might know psychographically about them that they uh, vacation in the South and they spend uh, uh, summers up North. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another psychographic fact about them. But here's the thing about demographics and psychographics. Both of them are historical records. The moment you know some of these things, any of these things about someone, the Mm. moment you can put it on paper, it's now in the past. Mm. So all it does is show you how people have behaved and what kind of people we're talking about up until now. Neither one of those things tell you how you can get them to change behavior tomorrow. And in order to get people to change behavior, you need to know 
what their values are. And that's where value graphics on the third leg of the stool comes in. Mm. You need to know what people care about unless you're happy with them just continuing the pattern that they've always had. But most organizations, in fact, I go out on a limb here and say 100% of the organizations on this planet exist to do one thing. And that's to identify a group of people and get them to do something. Mm. That's what every organization is for. So if you're going to try and take this group of people that you've identified, you know all kinds of stuff about them demographically and psychographically, and get them to do something, and we know from science and technology and from decades of study that the only way people decide to do something is if it's in line with their values, you need to know what their values are if you're going to identify a group of people and get them to do something. you got to talk to them based on what they're listening for. What they're listening for is what they care about and what they value. So you need all three. I love that. So they're not redundant. They just need to be used together. Yeah. We've been trying to use a hammer as a screwdriver. And oh, it's not. Gosh. What a hammer an is a hammer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I come from a hardware background, so I, I feel those feels. <laughs> well, I mean, even better. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Robertson screwdriver. We've been trying to use it in a Phillips screw. Like we need, to, yeah. we, need, we, need to, we need to use the right tools for the job. And in this case, we need three. We need demographics to understand what people are, psychographics to understand how they've behaved so far, and value graphics to understand how we can get them to change their behavior tomorrow. Yeah, I love it. So this podcast is all about tactically uh, being able to implement uh, changes in your business to be able to deliver and create your own value-driven brand. And I know that you have some fantastic key points around what you think businesses and uh, leaders can do Talk to me about what are those points for you that our listeners can take on and get into the office and start doing to create a value-driven brand for themselves. We're going to do a really fast crash course, a master class in five minutes or less on uh, values thinking. Here we go. Let's do it. First, First, you have to buy into the scientific fundamental truth that nobody's going to decide to do anything. None of your customers are going to behave the way you want them to behave unless you're speaking to them around what they care about. Mm. Nobody, nobody's going to listen to you if you're talking about what they don't care about. I mean, it's mm. pretty common sense, right? Uh, so you got to talk to them about what they care about, and then they'll listen and do what you're asking them to do. So that's point one. If that's the case, you shouldn't make any decisions as a, uh, somebody who's leading an organization, someone who owns a business, someone who's a politician. You shouldn't make any decisions unless you can figure out what value you're talking to. If there isn't an identifiable value, then you're going to come up with some ideas and tactics and strategies that don't make any sense because you're not talking to what people care about. So how do you do that? There's three ways. First way is absolutely free, and this is the basis of values thinking. We just need to stop asking the wrong questions. When we go out and talk to our customers, when we do a survey, when we do research, when we stand on the shop floor and talk to folks coming in, when we ask our sales guys, what are you hearing out there in the field? We always ask questions like, well, how old are you? And are you male or female? And do you have kids? And how much money do you make? And do you have a college degree? And like all, and, and what do you think about my product? And is my product uh, too expensive or is it not expensive enough? Or do you love my store? What if I had a different location? We want to know about our stuff, Mm. but we never ask them about their stuff. We Mm. never ask them about what they care about. 
So get out of your world where all it is that you're asking is about your stuff and instead say, tell me, what's on your mind? What's the thing you're worried about most right now? What do you think about all day long and wish you uh, could change? What's the last thing on your mind before you go to bed at night? And what's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? If you ask those questions formally in surveys or informally in conversations on the shop floor or through social media, mm. if you listen, you'll see patterns. And those patterns point to the values that people have. If people are always talking about how worried they are about their kids, then yeah. family is a value. And if they're always worried about how is this going to, like, I don't know. I don't know if this brand is really me. I'm not sure if this is my, uh, if it's my thing. Then what they're saying is they're very concerned about how other people think about them. This is about status. Oh, of course. Or if they say, yeah, you know what? I just, I love this. I would absolutely love to do this thing or buy this thing or be part of this, whatever. But I just, you know, I got to pay the rent this month. Mm. Uh, then their biggest value at the moment anyway is, is meeting their basic needs. Mm. So let's say you hear those three things, family, meeting basic needs, and status. Well, if that's the patterns that you start to see emerge based on all these conversations, all these questions you ask, what you need to do is say to these folks that my thing that I'm trying to get you interested in, it's absolutely going to help you with family status and meeting your basic needs. Just connect the dots because that's all they care about. So talk to them about what they care about. Don't bother talking to them about what you want to talk to them about. Talk to them about the only thing they're listening for, which is what they value. Wow. So here's a quick little four-step process to go through. First yes. one. Love it. It's, it's uh, what, who, why, where. Uh, what, who, why, how. What, who, why, how. Those are the four steps. First step, what. What's your question? Are you trying to understand how to get people to visit your store more often? Are you trying to get people to understand, understand how to get people to buy more of a product online? Are you Define your question. So you got to know what the question is here. That's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Second part is who are you talking to? This is where the demographics and psychographics part comes in, those two legs of the stool. Mm. My caution around that, this is, the, this is the who part. What is the question? Who mm -hmm. is the demographics and psychographics? Yep. We tend to put too much on the table there. If it doesn't matter that they're male or female, don't think about it. Right. Unless your product is specifically for men or specifically for women for some reason, mm -hmm. uh, then don't, 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 Add that to the list because yeah. all it does is clutter your thinking. So the only demographics and psychographics you should have on their list at this point in the exercise is the ones that are relevant to the what. So you've got what is your question? Who are we talking to based on relevant demographics and psychographics? Mm -hmm. The next part is why. And that's the piece we've been missing. That's the third leg of the stool. This is the values. Why are, going to why are people going to make one decision over another? Why will they behave the way we would like them to? It's because family and because status and because, what was the other one I had there? Family and status and the third one in my example, which I've totally needs. forgotten. Basic, Basic needs. needs. Thank you. I'm glad you're here to prompt me. So you have those three different values. Those are the why. You've got a what? A question. You've got a who? A definition of who they are from a, a psychographic and demographic perspective. You now have your whys. The last step is how. This is the mm. tactics. Yes. Given those Tactics. three things, what are the things you could do? And it's going to be different for everybody. Mm. You're going to have to say, hmm, I'm trying to get them all to come to my store birthday party. 
I understand that I'm speaking to uh, uh, people who are 18 to 24 and are fresh out of school. Uh, and the, 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 the why in this case is, uh, let's stick with status, is status. These folks are incredibly status conscious. Well, I have to do something. Well, how could be, uh, I have to figure out a way to convince them that coming to this part, birthday party is going to increase their status. Mm. So what I'm going to do is make this a closed door event, and there's only going to be 100 tickets. And I'm going to make uh, it incredibly desirable and status um, enabling to be one of the people who gets invited to this party. It's not going to be a please come to this party message. It's going to be only 100 people get to come to this party. Mm. Are you going to be one of them? Yeah. Because if you think you want to be one of them, here's what I need you to do. Now, that won't work with a group who aren't interested in status. They'll be like, ah, screw you. I don't want to come to your stupid party. Yeah. Uh, but for this group who are status conscious, it will work like a charm. Mm. Oh, my God. <sighs> People, I hope you really, really, really understand the gold nuggets that are just getting dropped right now. Like <laughs> mind-blowing shit. All right? Mind-blowing. This is game-changing stuff in business. This is one of the best uh you know, collaborations of information you could put together. One of the things I would certainly, certainly recommend is grabbing David's book um, and using that as an additional resource on top of uh, connecting with David on LinkedIn because that is where David's magic really, really happens. Uh, you are a prolific poster on LinkedIn, which I love because it means that just about every single day I get to learn something new and valuable around, you know, value graphics and, and helping even my clients, uh, you know, with the things that they actually value. Now, I have a secret. I have a secret weapon there. You want to know my secret oh, weapon? I love secret weapons. You said your show's about tactics. So here's the most powerful tactical suggestion I can offer to anybody who's trying to run a small business. Uh, it's a, it's a SaaS app called mm -hmm. lately and their website is trylately.com. Mm -hmm. Uh, before I go any further, I want everyone to know I have no financial interest in this company whatsoever. I'm just a giant fanboy because they've changed the way I do my, my, my work. Mm -hmm. What they are is a, um, it's a social media posting tool, which doesn't sound amazing, but what they've done is they've licensed IBM's AI brain called Watson. So you Jeez, go onto their site, you go onto their site, you put in your long form blog post, or um, you can even do this with videos and podcast uh, uh, transcripts now. You put this into the machine, the AI brain reads it for you and goes, huh, there's a tweet, here's a tweet, there's a tweet, here's a Facebook post, this would be good on LinkedIn, and hey David, which ones of these do you want to post and on what days? So it creates all your posts for social for you based on one blog that you've written or one article in a magazine or one podcast interview. Wow. So it can listen to a podcast, it can watch a video, it can read your text, and it will chop it up for you and serve it up and make it easy to post on all of your channels. And you think about the amount of time that saves. It doesn't replace doing the the post about the thing that you're interested in today, but mm. all that evergreen layer gets taken care of wow. and it costs pennies a day and it takes the place of pennies entire social media. Yeah, it's true. 
I don't know where I'd be without these guys. They're amazing. So big shout out to Kate and the team at uh, trylately.com. If you're not already using this thing, you, you, you just got it. I thank you. I am certainly going to check that out. I am, as we speak, getting on the content creation bandwagon. So yeah. any, any help. So take every one of take every one of these podcasts. You go on to Lately. You just give it the link. It will listen to your whole podcast, watch the whole video, and it will not only clip stuff out of there. It'll attach it to the video. So it's like. This 60-second chunk of uh, conversation is now text, and here's the video that goes with it, and there you go, ready to go on LinkedIn. Oh, my God. These people are magic makers. Yeah, it's crazy good. That is phenomenal. Now, uh, we are just about out of time, and oh, I cannot tell you. I just I'm, – I'm in massive awe of everything that you have accomplished, and – uh, the changes that you are making to the way people do business. And uh, hopefully I can continue to uh, be a part of that by oh, taking on your your amazing work and sharing it with everyone that I ever get the chance to talk to about it. Um, but in the uh, – so as, as we have probably figured out by now, uh, unless you're a first-time listener, I get every one of my guests to fill out a profile for me so that we can make this run as smoothly as possible. And one of the things that I ask all of my guests to do, uh, and I don't tell them until they are here on the recording, is I ask them what song it is that gets them up in the morning and ready for anything do you remember the song that you told me yeah i do because it's really a big important influence on me right now so go for it so the song is called times like these uh, and there's a live lounge all stars edition so i found out that there's multiple versions yeah. and what we do and what we are doing is to create more value for the people listening is uh, I am putting together a playlist on Spotify with every single guest's uh, song choice and by the time the podcast goes live, the list, the Spotify playlist will also be available. So I want to thank you for your uh, participation in creating a playlist that hopefully by the time, well, not hopefully, it will um, by the time this all goes live, anyone listening to that playlist is going to be literally ready for anything. And I think Very in cool. times like these, we yeah, absolutely we need times like these. All of the uh, help we can get. If I can, if I can close, I just I, I want to ask everybody who's listening a favor. Is mm, that okay? Go for it. Here's my favor. Whether you follow me or not, whether you join me on ValueGraphics.com or find me on LinkedIn whether you buy the book, whether you listen to any of this stuff, the favor I'd like to ask of you is to please stop in your personal life and your professional life. Stop using demographic stereotypes to understand the people around you. It's harmful. It's hurtful. It causes division in our world. If you don't believe me, think about Black Lives Matter. And before that, the lesbian and gay movement and the women's right movement and the, all the demographic movements we've had where people have stood up and said, stop treating me this way. Mm. It's because we're using stereotypes to understand folks. And instead, start thinking about the people you encounter personally and professionally based on what they care about and what they value, what makes them human, 
If we could just do that, the world would be a far, far less divisive, angry place than it is today. So if you'll help me by just doing that, I'll be forever grateful. I would absolutely concur. And uh, if you know what's good for you, you will go and follow David and you will listen to this podcast <laughs> because it's great and uh, we value you. So Thank you. David Allison, again, it is an absolute privilege and a pleasure and I can't wait to continue, as I said, sharing all of this amazing information and all the hard work that you and your team have put together and continue to um, put together to aid in a better world and a more human experience, something that I too am ultimately passionate about creating for everybody in the world. Thank you so much for Thank everybody you. listening. Stay tuned for the next uh next week's episode and um, thank you so much for joining us today with Valley Graphics David Allison till next time thanks for listening to the Value Driven Brand Podcast with your host Aileen Day is your business struggling to become known as the sought after leader in your industry access our Value Driven Brand Quiz and special three part podcast series to identify the gaps and what you need to focus on first. Go to www.valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. That's valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. Tune in next time where we discuss more ideas on how you can deliver your own value-driven brand.